Welcome to the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast. You're listening to Marcus Hand, editor of Sea Trade Maritime News. Today, we're in conversation with Adam Kent, managing director of Maritime Strategies International. I caught up with Adam on the sidelines of Marine Money Asia to talk about the subject he's extremely well versed in shipping markets. Over the next 25 minutes or so, you will hear from Adam about the current state and outlook for the major shipping sectors. It's going to be a bit of a roller coaster ride, so strap yourself in. Adam, welcome to the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Take the opportunity to catch up on what's happening in the shipping markets. Awful lot going on right now. Thought we'd run through the main sectors. And let's start with tankers, which are obviously enjoying a much better time than yep. before. What are the causes of the current high market? Is it the war with Ukraine, Russian sanctions, or are there other market fundamentals as well? As ever with, with, with the shipping markets, I think it's a combination of a number of factors that have come together at once. Uh, what we've been seeing in the Ukraine and the sanctions of Russian oil, certainly to Europe and, and the US, has certainly meant that Russia is still producing oil and that oil has to go somewhere and we're currently seeing a lot of that oil heading either to India or to Asia more broadly and of course transporting oil via ship to Asia versus pipelining it into into Europe is going to obviously be a very fundamentally a lot better for shipping than the alternative so that's certainly helped with the ton mile but I think the ton mile impact was happening before the invasion in Ukraine. We're seeing a lot more crude coming out of places like the US, typically going to Asia, which is added to ton miles. And more generally, the crude tanker sort of bilateral trade flow map has become a lot more complex. And I think, you know, we, we've done some analysis recently and we're sort of forecasting by 2025-2026, of oil on the water will be moving on either long or ultra-long bilateral trade flows. That's a positive story for tanker in the long run. I think more broadly, when we look at oil price, we saw some very high oil prices uh, about six months ago. Those prices have come down a bit. I think when you have prices over $100 per barrel, you're getting a little bit of demand destruction. Now they've come down a little bit more. There's not so much on the demand destruction side. We've also seen a lot of crude being released by the US from their strategic petroleum reserves. That again has helped with crude flows. And again, from the US to either Europe or Asia. The supply side, it's relatively benign. Fleet growth rate over the last couple of years has been low single digits. Tonnages coming into the market, scrapping has fallen back a bit given the rise in earnings over the last sort of six months or so but generally we're quite optimistic on on the tanker sector over the last few months with prevalence of chinese lockdown china's actual crude imports have been down around five percent this year and we're expecting to see you know the zero covid policy in china be lifted in the course of the next six months and that will again give a boost to crude flows going into China as uh, the economy sort of wakes up a little bit from from some of those lockdowns. So very positive for for tankers. The order book remains at sort of around 5% of the fleet. So if you wanted to order a tanker today, 
you'd probably be looking at a 2025 delivery slot. So that there's, there's, you know, we can see what's coming around the corner for the next uh, two, three years. And from our perspective, fundamentals are looking very positive, and we expect earnings to follow the fundamentals. So yeah, so with those sort of strong fundamentals, would you be fair to say that this current high market is fairly sustainable? Then, yeah, I think this goes across all shipping. I think there will be volatility in and around a rising utilization rate for the fleet. As I say, there's China to come back on. There's very little in the way of supply coming. And we're actually forecasting, you know, by the middle of the decade, we, we expect to see potentially negative fleet growth within the tanker sector. So I think usually we're sort of talking about the tanker sector. Consumption is only ever going to grow sort of single digits year on year. Uh, and that, that primarily is still the case. It's always the supply side that sort of ruins the party. And I think we've got the visibility on the supply side at the minute. We've got the new regulations coming in over the course of the next three years, which will remove some of that older tonnage. And we've also got the tanker fleet that's dealing with sanctioned oils, which removes some of the international trading fleet because they're sort of operating in the sort of grey zone of, of, of trade and sanctioned uh, oil fr- from Russia. So again, we're removing some of the, the sort of active supply on the international market. So yes, we do think it's uh, sustainable and we, we're expecting to see improved earnings or at least these sorts of level of earnings for the next couple of years. You mentioned the, the sanctions there with Russia. You've got the upcoming sort of you know, further sanctions from the EU. What sort of impact is that going to have? Well, I think a lot of that is increasingly being baked in to the market today. Whether it's sanctioned or self-sanctioning, I think European consumers are, are moving swiftly away from Russian products and Russian crude. I think what we will see, as I mentioned, is more tonnage being absorbed into doing the sort of sanction flows from Russia to jurisdictions in, in the east. Generally, it means that you know Europe is going to have to source crude and product from elsewhere. And as I mentioned, with Russia on European doorstep, the requirement for shipping is minimal, if at all, if it's pipelined. Europe's going to have to find that crude from other regions in the world, which is obviously going to be a positive for the shipping markets. I'm going to move on to another sector, a sector that has been doing extremely well, container shipping. Mm. But we're now seeing this uh, sharp slide in spot rates. Is there an end in sight to this? I think with the container ship market, we've always known that this collapse from the astronomical highs was coming. It was just a question of timings. And I guess we have been a little bit surprised by how quickly it has turned. On the actual spot rates, some of those spot rates have already come off by 50% in a relatively short space of time. Uh, we've now seen TC rates turn a corner and sort of coming down almost double digit falls week on week over the last two or three weeks. Ultimately, there's no reason why the container ship market should carry on at these elevated levels, and we do expect them ultimately to come down to where we saw them sort of pre-pandemic. We've got unravelling of a lot of the inefficiencies in the supply chain, and including things like port congestion. We're now seeing the liner companies talking about doing blank sailings to try and keep the floor on spot rates and TC rates at a level whereby they feel uh, economically uh, comfortable. Uh, And 
the, unlike uh, the tanker sector, the problem that we have in the container ship sector is we've lost the demand side, which was, to be truthful, was never hu huge. It was more the inefficiency that, that drove up the container ship market. But what we are sort of looking at is a very big shadow of a, a looming order book that it is literally on the horizon. You know, vessels will start to be delivered in uh, in the next six months that were ordered in at the start of the boom fit phase, and those vessels are going to come thick and fast for the next 24 months, which again is going to put downward pressure on the markets. I think with EEXI coming into existence next year, that may cause some of those vessels existing fleet to slow down which will absorb some of the container ship capacity but I don't think there's any getting away from the fact that we've had a couple of very very exceptional years in container ship markets I think we're probably going to be looking at a, a relatively ha hard landing saying that I think that the, the sort of trough where we expect to see things like the one year TC rate will be above historical troughs uh, and sort of back to the levels that we saw just in the sort of pre-pandemic era but at the end of the day the fundamentals will uh, are dictating that, that the market will see some softening within the next well we're already seeing that softening and uh, it's difficult to see it stopping unless you know we see another series of events that uh, will cause inefficiencies uh, either of the supply chain or the fleet more broadly to uh, to tick up again. I think one of the things that this sort of reminds me of is the dry bowl sort of super cycle in mm. 2007-2008. Is container shipping essentially experiencing the same thing and is that hard landing going to be like that hard landing was for dry bulk? Yeah, I mean, obviously with the uh, the dry bulk markets in the, in the sort of super boom phase of between say 2004 to 2008, there was a lot more demand for dry bulk shipping. I mean, obviously a lot of that was being driven by China. I think in the container ship market, yes, we have seen some very strong demand coming out of places like Asia, China to the US, but we haven't been witnessing that four or five years of year-on-year -year growth of double digit like we did in the dry bulk market. Obviously, the shipyards are in a very different position now compared to where they were in 2004 and 2008. You know, the, the dry bulk ordering boom that we saw in 2007-2008 came off the after we'd had record orderings for container ships, LNG, tankers and dry bulk was really the back end of the queue. People were placing orders in 2008 and not getting those vessels for up to four years after placing orders. The shipyards had to be built before the ships could be built. We're not in that situation now so when I say hard landing, I think it would be a quite a short, sharp hard landing, whereas in the dry bulk industry, that hard landing was hard and then it lasted four years if we got a lot of that tonnage uh, hitting the water. So I think, yeah, there are comparisons just by the matter of fact that both of the markets went up so high. And also with the, I mean, the, the dry bulk market is so fragmented and there's so many players, whereas the liner companies have a little bit more control over how the market sort of pans out and plays out and can sort of put some false flaws into uh, the, the bottom of the market by either sort of renegotiating contracts or by doing blank sailings as we saw them do during the start of COVID, which enables them to sort of manage their capacity. Okay, so there is a difference in dynamics. So that hard landing is really going to be across maybe the next two years as that new fleet you know, 
all yes. the book is delivered? Yes, yes. As you say, we've seen we've seen earnings you know, fall by sort of 20% in two weeks. It could continue to fall that quickly. So we could see earnings hit the floor within sort of six to, six to eight months. But generally, I think uh, we probably are in for a period of low earnings within a container ship market for a period of two years while that order book gets worked out. We do think, obviously, there will be scrapping just by the nature of that the fleet has got older over the course of the last two, three years while the markets have been improving. But also, as I mentioned, uh, with regulations uh, around the corner, EXI and CII, and more emphasis on decarbonisation of the industry. We also think that some of the vessels that uh, are perhaps more of the thirstier vessels that aren't as efficient as some of the more modern tonnage will also be scrapped over the next three years, which will help with the recovery uh, as we sort of move into the second half of this decade. Okay, so it sounds more like a normal, almost like a normalising of the container market. Yeah, no, I would agree. I would agree. I think, I think, you know, the, the events that have led to the, the the record earnings that we've seen over the last two years have been unprecedented, and they've not really been driven by pure, as I would deem, pure fundamentals. It's been a lot more about the inefficiencies of the fleet and the supply chains more broadly. I think a lot of that is now being readdressed. And I think as that works out, the industry more generally, people are looking at their supply chains in a lot more detail to make sure that this sort of thing wouldn't happen. I'm not saying it couldn't happen in any shape or form, but it won't happen necessarily to the same degree that we've seen it happen over the course of the last two years. So things like we're seeing well, in the, your you know, home country, the UK, port strikes and so forth, they're probably, would they be enough to sort of support the market to an extent? Or? Uh, they are going to add some volatility uh, around, I think, still a, a sort of downward trajectory. I think, yes, you know, we are seeing strikes in the UK and beyond, but it's nothing like that we saw with uh, sort of the, the closing of ports due to sort of COVID issues uh, in 2021. Uh, when we saw you know, large large ports even. I mean, the thing is that we obviously saw a shutdown in Shanghai uh, quite recently, uh, and that really didn't make that much of a difference to the container ship market. And I think if you can shut down Shanghai, shutting down a number of smaller ports in the UK, it sort of pales into its insignificance in that regard. I think, I think the industry has learnt to deal with temporary shutdowns of some ports and is actually can sort of consolidate around port shutdowns. Well, that's, a, that's a good perspective though. Mm. And it sounds like the industry, yes, is you know, learning to cope with these things. Yes, it, it, it's the industry and, and it's the supply chains beyond. I think, you know, empty boxes were, were a huge problem within you know, 12, 18 months ago. There's a lot of empty boxes now. I think you know, there's just been a realignment more generally. Some of this is very hard to measure when you start looking at sort of the hinterland supply chains. But you know, at, at, at a, certainly a superficial level, looking at uh, the evidence that we've been able to see, the supply chains are starting to sort of get back to more efficient pre-COVID levels. Okay. I'm moving, well, another part of the supply chain, really, uh, moving on, is dry bulb. Mm. Now, that market, I think there was an expectation we might see this old market pick up in the second half, like it did last year. Yeah. That certainly hasn't happened. No. 
Obviously with dry bulk, dry bulk is in some sense a little bit beholden to what's going on in China. And I think there's obviously what's gone on in China over the course of the last six months with the lockdowns, with concerns about property prices and residential construction, I think this has had a, a quite a big impact into uh, the dry bulk market. More broadly, I and mean, we've seen uh, global steel production down by around 5%. This year, iron ore imports down by around 3%. And that's had a, a huge knock-on effect to the dry bulk industry. I think it's, it's also important to recognise that some of the strength in the dry bulk market has been driven by what's been going on in the container ship market. With container rates so high, a lot of people that wanted to move perhaps smaller lots of commodities have looked towards dry bulk. Those vest, you know, the commodities that have had become containerized has gone back to dry bulk. We have had evidence that they are now going back to containers. So that's taking some of the, the, the support that the industry has had uh, from a demand side perspective. And I think generally with uh, very high commodity prices, high inflation, this has sort of impacted the dry bulk market quite significantly over the course of the last eight months. And it's always the case, the first half of the year does suffer with things like, obviously, the Lunar New Year. It does suffer with, with weather disruptions, and we've seen a lot of weather disruptions in the first half of, of 2022, above and beyond perhaps what we have seen in, in previous years. So, you know, even if you look at coal and with, with what's going on in Russia, coal has become a sort of swing energy supplier given uh, Russian barrels aren't heading to Europe, so a lot of Europe is looking towards coal. But a lot of that coal uh, supply, there's been problems with coal supply, either due to weather, due to logistics, due to rail problems, and generally has had a detrimental impact to the dry bulk, certainly from a demand side, fundamentals. A lot like container ship market, we've also seen the unwinding of a lot of the inefficiencies, especially the, the port congestion. The, the port congestion is unwinding very quickly, and that's bringing a lot of tonnage back into the market. We've recently did some analysis, and uh, we think around 7 to 10% of the dry bulk fleet was tied up in port congestion last year. That equates to about as much tonnage as needed to service iron ore trade from Australia to China. So that sort of puts it into perspective. So we've got all of those ships coming back into the, the trading fleet, which is obviously going to be detrimental to market balances. I sort of see two things there. The, the, the fundamentals are not so favourable, and also you've got the supply chain issues being sorted out, or you know, less port congestion and so forth. Yes, yeah, correct. And I mean, this is something that we've been saying for some time. We did some analysis towards the start of the year and we looked at our base case where we were factoring in port congestion through 2022 and the analysis was if we took port congestion back to 2019 levels, what would that do to our base case TC rate? And the results were quite striking. So if we had port congestion back to 2019 levels in 2022, we'd have had to have reduced our base case cape size TC rate by 40%. That's the sort of magnitude that port congestion has had on the dry bulk market in 2022. So with that unravelling, it's perhaps no surprise that we're seeing some weakness within the dry bulk markets. As you say, it's both the supply chains, the port congestion, but also the demand side weakness. Okay, given those twin scenarios, 
could you perhaps tell our listeners what you see as the outlook over say, the next 12, 24 months for this market? We do expect to see something of a, a bounce back in the next six months. The dry bulk market has been falling quite quickly and we do expect to see things like still consumption increase. I think a lot of it is very much dependent on what goes on with commodity prices. If we see commodity prices come off, then that will prompt more trade, especially into places like China that are very sort of price sensitive when it comes to both iron ore and coal. Uh, And more broadly, we think that uh, on the the supply side is looking quite favourable for the market. So that will help with regards increasing the utilisation rate from where it is currently sitting today. Although we, we expect to see some strength in the next six months, we do expect to see perhaps if you look at things on an annual average basis, the dry bulk market to be weaker next year than it is this year. And you know that, that, that's as much on the demand side as anything as the world sort of readjusts post-COVID to the new sort of efficient fleet post all the COVID-related disruptions. With that kind of market outlook, are there any opportunities within that for owners? I think more broadly, and this is something that we've you know, been saying for a little bit of time now if you had to look at uh, it from a, an individual vessel perspective I think we're, we're increasingly more positive towards the, the smaller geared vessel geared tonnage rather than the sort of large cape size or VLOCs just because you're not so dependent on one commodity and one importing nation the flexibility and I think that this is the case across all of shipping I think flexibility is increasingly coming key to maintaining utilization rates for individual assets enabling you to sort of switch cargoes switch basins that you trade in and uh, switch sort of import and exporting countries and regions that's all we have time for on this episode of the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on the app of your choice. Till the next episode, stay safe. Mm-hmm.